Before beginning this episode, I just want to let you know as a trigger warning that this episode does briefly talk about self-harm and it talks about sexual assault and abuse. And also, when I talk about women and when I talk about girls and females, I want you to know that I am including in this term all females at birth. I want to talk about my non-binary people. I want to talk about the ones who identify as women. This episode is for you and you are included in this one word that is an umbrella that is made for you to fit under. Testing, testing. Still way too loud. Can get Jamie? Can you please come get Ellie? Okay, let's try this again. You're listening to The Neurodivergent Nurse, and I'm your host, Jamie. I'm a registered nurse who has ADHD. On this podcast, we will talk all things ADHD. I'm really just beginning to learn about this diagnosis and how to navigate through it, but I am so excited to take you on this messy and raw journey with me so that we can learn together. So let's get started. Imagine with me for a minute. Imagine a gender equal world, a world free of bias, stereotypes, and discrimination, a world that is diverse, equitable, and inclusive. A world where difference is valued and celebrated. That sounds beautiful, especially for those of us who struggle with ADHD. We want there to be equity. We want things to be equal, that our neurodivergence is celebrated. And we try to make it known to remove the stigma. We try to increase the transparency so that the stereotypes may start to fade away for people to know that we aren't lazy, we aren't dumb, we aren't flighty, but our brains are creative and they are so fast. The structure of the world around us just doesn't quite accept us. It doesn't quite work for us because it wasn't made for us. Today is International Women's Day. Today is a day that we should all embrace equity. Today is a day that we need to recognize that we can forge women's equality. We need to start to take action to drive gender parity. And one of the areas, if you know anything about ADHD, that women just don't quite fit, that women, they don't fit in, that women, they aren't seen the same way, is when it comes to the diagnosis of ADHD. So many women are first diagnosed with some type of anxiety disorder or depression, and they come to find out that those medications that they were prescribed for that anxiety, for that depression, never made a difference. And somewhere, someone mentioned ADHD to them. And as they started unraveling what ADHD looks like in women, in girls, they saw themselves. And their life became better when they received that ADHD diagnosis. But many people hold that long-standing and widespread belief that only boys have ADHD. And obviously, that's a myth. I'm so sorry. Don't be mad that I'm interrupting this podcast episode, which is 
a pretty great episode. Am I wrong? Anyway, I have spent the last two, two and a half years not doing the traveling that I love and really enjoy. This year, I decided in 2023, it's going to be different. But I also wanted to extend that to you. All the years before, I've enjoyed traveling on my own terms. But I decided that this year, I was going to open it up to the followers of the Neurodivergent Nurse. I want you to go on. I want you to click the link in the show description. And I want you to sign up to go to Spain with me from October 9th to October 15th. There's a whole itinerary. There's so much fun things that we are going to do while we are in Spain, like walking tours and sunset cruises and all of those fun things. Anyways, check every single bit of it out in the show notes. Click that link. If you can't access it, shoot me an email at the neurodivergentnurse at gmail.com. The first 10 people that sign up, there are some spots still available. You get a discount. So go ahead, do it now. There are monthly payment plans available. Let's get on this so that we can be the best of travel buddies. For almost a century, the majority of clinic referrals were for young, hyperactive boys who were impulsive and unmanageable. Researchers used the data describing the behaviors of those boys as the basis for the early diagnostic criteria. Since hyperactivity was identified as the hallmark, only the rare young girls with behaviors most similar to those boys could be diagnosed. The majority of girls with ADHD experienced primarily inattentive symptoms which do not meet diagnostic criteria. As a result, diagnosed girls were vastly outnumbered by diagnosed boys. When those young boys finally reached puberty, their hallmark symptom of hyperactivity gradually tapered off to the extent that it was believed that the disorder resolved at puberty. As a result, the picture of ADHD emerged as a disorder limited to childhood, predominantly affecting hyperactive boys. It was formally classified as a disruptive behavior disorder of childhood in the DSM until 2013. That understanding of ADHD as a male-dominated childhood disorder persisted for decades, during which time girls were not considered for diagnosis. We now know hyperactivity tends to diminish with age and that ADHD does not go away once you hit puberty. In fact, contrary to the belief that ADHD was just a childhood disorder, we now know that ADHD continues into adulthood in the majority of cases. In 1980, there was this revamp of criteria, and that revamp allowed for the possibility of inattention without hyperactivity. This finally, finally facilitated diagnosis of predominantly inattentive girls whose behaviors did not resemble those of hyperactive boys in the least. This change clarified that an ADHD diagnosis no longer required the presence of hyperactivity. For the first time, inattentive girls were just as likely to be diagnosed as hyperactive boys. I mean, theoretically. Despite this significant revision, assessment scales and diagnostic criteria have continued to skew toward more male-based behaviors. While the new criteria were designed to be more inclusive, Hyperactive boys continue to be selected as subjects for the majority of studies. As a result, findings describing boys with ADHD continue to be the standard against which girls with ADHD are compared. When studies do include girls, 
they tend to be those exhibiting symptoms more characteristic of boys. It is not surprising, then, that most studies find no gender difference in the symptoms of ADHD. The unfortunate reality is, despite comparable symptoms, girls, and women, of course, with ADHD experience more functional impairments and face starkly different long-term outcomes than males with ADHD. Prevalence ratio of boys to girls with ADHD have decreased significantly over time from about 25 to 1 to about 3 to 1 today. That sounds great. That ratio sounds like there is such a huge improvement, which there is, and it is wonderful. But there's a reason why the rate is still boys are three times more likely to be diagnosed with ADHD than girls. Girls have been dramatically affected by gender biases. However, unintentional identification challenges, referral rates, assessment scales, and diagnostic criteria reflect entrenched gender biases that continue to impede girls' diagnosis. Girls with ADHD thwart easy identification because they're typically less disruptive, aggressive, impulsive, and hyperactive than boys with ADHD. In addition, girls' tendencies to mask their difficulties allows them to appear less impaired, but at the cost of being assessed as not needing help. If clinicians are unfamiliar with their subtle, inattentive, gender-typical behaviors, those girls may be overlooked. In fact, girls' chances of diagnosis improve when they exhibit more gender-atypical symptoms, like hyperactivity, impulsivity, and oppositionality. Despite similar levels of impairment, even parents and teachers are more likely to refer disruptive boys for evaluation than compliant girls. Girls who do not meet DSM criteria run the risk of being misdiagnosed and subsequently treated based on easily observed symptoms like, I said, anxiety and depression. Whether overlooked or misdiagnosed, girls tend to receive an ADHD diagnosis an average of five years later than boys. Since diagnosis required the presence of symptoms before age seven, girls were excluded for the most part. In 2013, when the diagnostic cutoff was increased to age 12, girls' diagnosis skyrocketed. This surge occurred because most girls with ADHD exhibit more prominent symptoms after puberty, following the release of estrogen. Today, hormonal modulation of girls' ADHD symptoms is an emergent area of research. Now I want to pivot just a bit to start talking about women with ADHD and about those of us who have suffered in silence for so long. Research shows that ADHD puts a greater toll on women than it does on men. Did you know that? Clinicians need a different set of tools for diagnosing and treating the disorder across the genders, and women deserve a better understanding of how this disorder affects them. Most mainstream research on ADHD tells us that there's no significant differences in how the disorder presents in men versus women, that is, on most measures. Data suggests that the sexes experience the same type, number, and severity of symptoms, the same academic struggles, the same number of comorbid disorders, and the same efficacy of medication. But the lived experiences of real women make it clear that this is not the whole story. Women with ADHD face many of the same symptoms as their male counterparts. It's true. If you don't believe it, go look at my Instagram account when I post what ADHD looks like in women and how many men say, yeah, I do that too. But 
they also labor under the added burden of restrictive gender roles, fluctuating hormones, and a greater tendency toward self-doubt and self-harm. And emerging research reveals that while their daily symptoms may mirror each other, in the long term, men and women with ADHD actually face dramatically different outcomes. It may be time for the ADHD establishment and women themselves who accept that gender differences play a more significant role in the life with attention deficit than previously thought. Here's how we can start to make sense of the female ADHD experience. What is the power of gender roles? Many women feel that conforming to gender role expectations is the route to acceptance. Societal demands for communication and cooperation require perfect choreography of the executive functions. However, women with ADHD are thwarted by unpredictable executive functions. Overwhelmed and frantic, we accept that we are not entitled to a support system, but in fact, we must be the support system. Those of us with ADHD, we blame ourselves for being too distracted to catch up with daily responsibilities. We allow our lack of motivation, disorganization, or lateness to define us, and we anticipate criticism and rejection. We're ashamed of our emotional reactivity. We censor ourselves rather than risk inappropriate responses. Nonetheless, when we're less guarded at home, our frustration triggers outbursts directed at our partners and our children. Such unintended episodes leave us feeling demoralized and overwhelmed with regret. Without a neurobiological explanation, we attribute these inadequacies to our flawed character. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And I know that I touched on hormones just a tad, but let's talk about how our hormones connect to ADHD symptoms. Beginning at puberty, monthly hormonal fluctuations bring high levels of estrogen and progesterone, and that enhances neurotransmitters. It improves cognitive functioning following menstruation. However, when premenstrual hormone levels drop, women experience an exacerbation of ADHD symptoms along with typical premenstrual changes. Okay, I'm going to repeat that again <laughs> just so that it can make sense. When premenstrual hormone levels drop, women experience an exacerbation of ADHD symptoms 
along with typical premenstrual changes. Low estrogen triggers greater irritability and disruptions of mood, sleep, and concentration. These observable symptoms can easily lead to a diagnosis of PMDD, which is premenstrual dysphoric disorder. You may have never heard of this, or you may have been diagnosed with this prior to your ADHD diagnosis, but this is a severe, sometimes disabling extension of premenstrual syndrome of PMS. Although PMS and PMDD both have physical and emotional symptoms, PMDD causes extreme mood shifts that can disrupt daily life and damage relationships. Does that sound familiar to your ADHD? Which is why these observable and measurable symptoms can lead to that diagnosis without considering that it just might be underlying ADHD. As estrogen levels drop throughout menopause, ADHD symptoms intensify in combination with age-related cognitive changes, confusion, memory, concentration, and sleep. All of it, it becomes even more impaired. Since women now spend about a third of their lives post-menopause, it is critical that research explore the impact of hormonal cycles on ADHD symptoms. Let's talk about why women with ADHD are often perfectionist. Many women acquired self-esteem through early academic successes. As adults, we still rely on intellect to help us compensate. But the difficulty of sustaining attention makes us question our abilities. Success now requires tremendous investments of time and energy. Comparing ourselves harshly to peers who seem to achieve effortlessly, we are determined to present a seamless facade. However, rigid perfectionism comes at a very, very high price. Relentless self-monitoring is fueled by exhausting anxiety. Some of us women, we stay up most of the night immersed in obsessive preparations or obsessive studying or trying to just have the same amount of knowledge as your cohorts. But when something falls through the cracks, our high standards leave us feeling demoralized and undeserving of compassion. Our facade is only successful if no one suspects the desperation that consumes us. However, this mask of conformity never allows us to be known. Our struggles are a secret, but it's no less damaging. Now, let's talk about how comorbid conditions complicate this picture. By adulthood, women with ADHD are usually struggling with more than one comorbid problem. Let's talk about how comorbid conditions complicate this picture of ADHD in women. And just so that we're all on the same page, comorbid, it is relating diseases or medical conditions that are present simultaneously in a patient or person. By adulthood, women with ADHD are usually struggling with more than one comorbid problem, and those symptoms are often the most observable. Consequently, women, as I mentioned earlier, women are often misdiagnosed and treated for anxiety and mood disorders as a primary diagnosis. Their physiological expressions of anxiety may manifest in bodily complaints, ranging from headaches and nausea to nail biting or cuticle picking. We women are more likely to present with dysregulated eating patterns and with a higher BMI, which is the body mass index. We are more likely to have personality disorders with borderline personality disorder being the most common. We may present with substance abuse or compulsive shopping or gambling. We may describe sensory overload with hypersensitivity to touch, sound, light, or smells. I remember when I was sitting with my female psychiatrist 
receiving my ADHD diagnosis, she asked me what sounds I was sensitive to. She asked, what sound drives you crazy and bothers you the most? And I thought, I don't have a problem with sounds. And that's what I told her. Although I absolutely have a problem with sounds and I am incredibly sensitive to loud sounds like fireworks, sudden noises, they startle me. I hate the sound of someone chewing. Oral noises drive me bonkers. And back to the problems with comorbid conditions. Women with ADHD are more likely to have experienced early physical or sexual abuse, and that may manifest symptoms related to post-traumatic stress disorder. Any combination of these comorbid issues creates a complex diagnostic picture. But what are the potential outcomes for undiagnosed women? I mean, is it really that big of a deal that women aren't diagnosed as regularly because of the gender bias with it? As women's responsibilities increase, our psychological distress increases as well. But low self-esteem rarely allows our needs to come first. Distracted from our own self-care, women with ADHD postpone checkups and procedures, and we function with serious sleep deficits. Inconsistent eating patterns shaped by inattention and impulsivity can result in complications as well. We're chronically stressed, which means that we may depend on prescription medications to manage anxiety, mood disorders, sleep, or pain. Or we may self-medicate with alcohol and drugs. As women mature, we learn to appear less symptomatic, yet our suffering continues as our well-guarded secret. We may distance ourselves from friends and hide our despair from partners. We believe in our unworthiness. We may endure relationships involving emotional and physical abuse. Such hopelessness combined with impulsivity contributes to significantly more self-harm compared to men. Even more concerning is our much greater likelihood of suicidal thoughts and attempts. Recent population studies suggest that women with ADHD are more likely to die earlier of unnatural causes, especially due to accidents. These starkly elevated risk factors merit attention as a public health crisis, but these outcomes are avoidable. Healing begins with a safe connection to one person who becomes a lifeline to acceptance and support. It is critical that research explore why ADHD exacts a far greater toll on women. Perhaps the perfect storm of internalized symptoms, hormonal fluctuations, and the pressure of societal expectations combine to create a context of stressors unique to females. Attributing our difficulties to our own character failures feeds the shame and demoralization that can undermine us. Because women with ADHD are more reactive than proactive, we gradually lose confidence in our own judgment since we feel like it betrays us so often. Compared to men, women with ADHD perceive ourselves as more impaired and our experience of negative events as more painful. We're more likely to blame ourselves for our difficulties and feel lucky if things turn out well. It appears that women with ADHD are more vulnerable to our perceived failures and self-regulation than men. But what if the experience of men is not considered the standard? These differences suggest that studies comparing women with ADHD to women without ADHD would yield greater specifics about the impact of ADHD. We cannot direct the wind, but we can adjust our sails. 
Women with ADHD cannot change their brain wiring, but they can reframe their experiences through a different lens. They can learn to embrace their unique strengths and aptitudes, celebrate the creativity of nonlinear thinking, establish new priorities based on self-acceptance, and find ADHD-friendly environments in which they can thrive. Ideally, an ADHD diagnosis is the first step toward reversing our destructive belief system. I talk often and openly about the weight that was lifted off of me when I received that diagnosis and how mentally it helped me change into the person that I am today, the strong, open, honest, and self-loving person that I am with ADHD. It also offers a neurological explanation for why things are just so hard. And it offers validation that allows us to own our successes. For women, let's talk about how to increase the chances of getting the right diagnosis. When you go to a clinician for an evaluation, describe the relevant evidence-based issues and ask that he or she consider the possibility of underlying ADHD. I encourage people to make a list, you know, us ADHDers in our list, right? But to make a list of things that we will possibly forget about whenever we go and talk to someone because one, you're likely to feel like you are an imposter. I still, to be completely honest with you, every time I go back to my psychiatrist for my three-month checkup, I think they're going to think that I was faking this because I want to go back to medical school and I just want pills to help me study. That is so far from the truth and the benefits that I have received from the diagnosis and proper medication and knowing that they see that as well when you read the doctor's notes, but there's still that nagging thought in my head. And so when you go for your initial diagnosis, you're probably going to have an exacerbated form of that fear. Make a list of the things that you think from day to day as you're going on and leading up to your appointment that you think looks like ADHD. In your notebook, this is what I want you to include. And I am going to give you examples from my personal account, my personal Jamie symptom. So obviously you're not going to have the exact same ones, but it's going to help give you a format or an idea of what I'm talking about. Your inattentive symptoms. My inattentive symptoms may come when I misspell things and everybody notices it but me. Your internalizing symptoms, which could be social anxiety. I struggled with paralyzing social anxiety for many years that also would turn into panic attacks in certain situations. Emotional dysregulation that may come along with your time management skills. Are you consistently late? Do you struggle with motivation? I may need to chart because I just finished a rapid response and I sit down at the computer to chart and I just struggle to click the mouse to open the patient's chart so that I can start recounting what just happened. Low self-esteem, eating dysregulation. Do you eat all day or do you forget to eat because you have been so focused on painting a portrait that you have been working on? Chronic anxiety. That could be social anxiety. It could just be generalized anxiety. Chronic relationship problems. Perfectionistic behavior. Substance 
dependence. I know for many of us women who have struggled with alcohol or drugs, that may not be an easy conversation to have with a provider because you know that you're going to be seen as a certain way going back to perfectionistic behavior or expectation, but it is important to talk about if you do feel like you consume a larger amount of alcohol than the people that you know and your friends, and even if it may not be a problem to you that you can control it, if there is a difference, it is worth being honest about. Hypersensitivities, we talked about that earlier, Chronic restlessness, reluctance to read, episode of rage or tears. I call this flash emotions. I have struggled with this much, much, much of my life. Frequent irritability, even if you're the sweetest person. Picking behaviors, whether it's picking at your cuticles, chewing on your nails. Intense premenstrual symptoms. I know today's episode was a lot, but I just felt like it was so important on today, International Women's Day, to celebrate how far the community has come as far as psychology in including women and learning what women with ADHD look like. But we still have a long, long, long way to go. I hope you have a wonderful week and I can't wait to talk to you again. If you enjoyed today's episode, I would love it if you would go and leave a five-star review. And if you want to contribute and support The Neurodivergent Nurse, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash The Neurodivergent Nurse. And there you can get bonus episodes, daily ADHD tips sent straight to you, worksheets for issues that you may be struggling with when it comes to ADHD, and a free ticket to my monthly webinar. Go sign up so that you can join my Neurodivergent family.